namo myoho renge kyo, namo myoho renge kyo, namo myoho renge kyo. Hi everyone. I hope you're all feeling fine and secure. Thank you for being here. Thank you, most of all, for your practice. Um, I know I was thinking about making an announcement, but um, I'm going to save it. <laughs> Teaser. Sorry. <laughs> All right. We're continuing with Leon Hervis's uh, translation, transliteration of the Lotus Sutra of the Fine Dharma, the Lotus Blossom of the Fine Dharma. And uh, we are in the expedient devices. And he takes the opportunity while he's discussing what expedient devices or skillful means are um, basically teachings suited to the audience and uh, how to lead with the world experience known by that audience, terms they're familiar with, and lead them to deeper, more capable thinking, uh, which they're not accustomed to. They have not encountered in their culture, their religious life, their personal life, um, because Shakyamuni, with his enlightenment, just leaped forward well beyond uh, the understandings of the cultures and the population and the so on and so forth, the society that he lived in. And so they had to be trained, right? As do we still in this you know, almost 3,000 years later, uh, those same attachments and habit energies and um, cultural normatives and traditions, uh, they really have a hold on us. They're very, very strong. And so he talks about that. He talks about why um, stories, parables, and so on and so forth have to be used in order to coax us into our own insights if only our minds and brains were so designed that every bit of new information that came into us could simply be the, the whole picture of that new information, we wouldn't have this problem. <clears throat> but because our brain is a collector and our mind is a reviewer of collections, this is samsara. Every new piece of information that comes into our mind comes in via all of the previous filters we've had for anything similar or related to what we're now learning. And so it takes time for new information to spark new ways of thinking, new ideas, new thoughts of changing patterns right? This is the samsaric obstacle. But when he gets to the Lotus Sutra, he drops all of that. Well, not all of it, uh, but he drops the idea that um, the level of teachings can only be so far ahead of where you are. By the time he gets to the Lotus Sutra, he says, okay, I'm still going to use skillful means and devices and parables and so forth, but they're going to be directly related to what the ultimate 
method for self-realization is. No more steps. We're now going for the 10-meter platform and making our, our dives from that, ma or, you know, whatever, uh, cliff diving maybe. Pick a, a pinnacle of anything. And when you're teaching that pinnacle, you're, you may be using, you know, the same language, the same familiarity of ideas, but those ideas are all about that maximal pinnacle of accomplishment, what the goal is, actually is. Not the goal as a distant reference, but the goal as an, an immediate performative, okay? So, um, we've, we've read a lot about the assembly, and he's talking to Shariputra, and then he's about to restate uh, the fact that this this is the vehicle. This is an interim vehicle. There are no other vehicles. This is the vehicle. There aren't many ways to get to this point. This is the way to get to this point because of what it is, the ultimate teaching, yes? And he's going to repeat everything in verse. So let's get into it. Bhikshus and bhikshunis. Harboring arrogance, upasakas with pride, and upasikas with no resolve. In other words, you may be excellent students, but excellence in the accomplishment of enlightenment is something that has to be a determined dedication to open that which one has not experienced before. Uh, to my point in my little diatribe before I started, this, this idea of new information now has to be, you have to be excited about it. You have to be convinced, confident, that by using this method, you will achieve something you've never achieved before. And that's a very different mindset than the mindset that says, if I do A, B, and C, then I will arrive at D. It's not just an equation. It's a, a sense of, a dedication of, right? Buddhism talks about this all the time. You know, the medicine king, the, the uh, Avalokitesvara, um, it's several times we've read this this um, exhortation to commit because you're not yet there to have complete resolve on opening this new door, not just theoretically thinking, well, there'll be a new door when I go down this hallway. No, 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 no. What if the hallway was completely dark and you didn't even know where the walls were? Are you now convinced that you're going to get to the door? Know that the door is there. The Guhanzan is there. And when you open it, Buddha eye. Know that it is there. Simply walk toward it and do what this method, this way of going, will, will provide for you an arrival. Know it. That kind of resolve. Yeah? So if you have arrogance, if you think you know it all, or if you have pride that 
Yeah, it's me. I'm going down this hall. It's going to get in your way. You need to have the commitment of, I don't care what other people think. I only care that I'm about to arrive. And then do it. Arrive. It's different, right? It's subtle in some ways, but it's very profound if you really take that step, yeah? In the fourfold assembly, the likes of these, 5,000 in number, not seeing their own faults, having flaws in their discipline, and jealousy guarding their blemishes, these of slight wisdom have already left. Right? That was the first thing we read, was those, those uh, practicants, arhants, who thought themselves already enlightened, thought, we don't need to listen to any more of this. We already know. Mm. Do you? So he's hammering on them again, right? Right off the bat. But it's a caution to everyone else. Remember, this is about the mind. So where does your mind wander? Does your mind, does your monkey mind say, eh, while you're fighting that, those monkeys with other monkeys that go, no, no, you need to do this. You need to get your gold star. See, those are all self-directed thoughts, samsaric. See the difference? Whereas when you commit, you, you push to an unknown. Yet with the conviction that it will be known by this action. These of slight wisdom have already left. The chaff of the multitude, thanks to the Buddha's imposing majesty, is gone. Because of the goal, because of the mission at task, we've basically pushed out those that aren't ready. That's what he's saying. These persons, ill-equipped with merit, are not worthy to receive this dharma by their own decision, right? This isn't an admonition being put upon them. This is an admonition of what they've done to themselves. This multitude has neither branches nor leaves. We don't have anything shaky around here. Now everyone is committed that's here, but has only firm fruits. Shariputra, listen well. The Dharma that the Buddhas have gained by resort to incalculable expedient powers they preached to the beings what are the beings right sentient minds you and i the thoughts though by the beings the sundry ways trodden by them the nature of their several desires the good and evil deeds in their former it says incarnations but we're talking Cycle of birth and death, right? Birth, death, birth, death, birth, death, birth, death. Moment to moment, moment to moment. Hmm? The Buddha knows them thoroughly, knowing them and resorting to various means and parables. Uh, once again, reiterating that the teachings for the last 42 years have been to what I understand the capacities of the people are, but now we're going to drop all that and these skillful means, these devices, are going to be to get to the end goal, the ultimate goal. Hmm? Hmm? 
resorting to various means and parables and to their powers and to the powers of phrases and other expedients, he causes all to rejoice. Now he preaches sutras or sermons, gathas and former matters, former lives and things that have never been before, miraculous tales, right? Tales of of great imaginations because you haven't yet experienced it, but you're about to. Again, he preaches cause and conditions, the Nidana, parable and Gaya, versus repeating the prose, right, to memorize, and dialogue in texts, in scriptures, in teachings. Those of dull faculties who desire lesser dharmas, oh, I'd just be happy if I could, you know, lose some weight, <laughs> right? Lesser dharmas. Who out of sheer greed cling to birth and death, the cycle, right? I want to be here, I want to be here, I want to be here. By the time you're done with the sentence, you're already gone, but I want to be here, I want to be Samsara, right? Who in the presence of incalculable Buddhas, still fail to tread the profound and subtle path and who are tormented by multitudinous woes, right? The Four Noble Truths again, all life is suffering. If you want to stay in that cycle, that's where you're at. If you want to be enlightened, what do you need to do? Cease the formations. How can you understand formations if all you're worried about is the form? If all you think about is form, it, 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 things, things, things. What I hold, what I possess. Hmm? You're not thinking about, well, how does it come about that I attach to these things? Are these things my reality? Or are they a constructed reality? If so, how do I construct them? Let's look toward the formations rather than the end result. Right? Which is already a fait accompli. Right? And who are tormented by multiple multitudinous woes. For these I preach nirvana. The release of those multitudinous woes by ceasing what creates those multitudinous woes. Devising this expedient device, I enable them to enter the Buddha's wisdom, Buddha-ness, the Buddha-eye. I never told them, you all shall be able to achieve the path of the Buddha. Right? I'm not a salesman. I didn't say all of you will reach this path because he's not giving them Buddha. Right? We keep coming back to this. Buddha-ness is only, or Buddha, can only be achieved by the mind that experiences it. It's on us. You and me. Shall be able... Uh, uh, the reason I've never told them is that the time to tell it had not yet come. Now is precisely the time to preach the great vehicle definitively. This dharma of mine, in nine divisions, I preached by matching it to the beings 
keeping the entry into the great vehicle as the basis. This is why I preach this scripture. There are sons of the Buddha whose thoughts are pure and supple and also whose faculties are keen, who in the presence of incalculable Buddhas have trodden the profound and subtle path. For these sons of the Buddha, I should say sons and daughters, right? I preach this scripture of the great vehicle. I prophesy to such persons as these that in a future age they, will, they shall achieve the Buddha's path. Because with profound thought they are mindful of the Buddha and because they practice and keep a pure discipline. And what is that pure discipline? We've already talked about it, right? It's that dedicated, expecting mind. The expectation of the goal. There's, there's a determination in that, a resolve, yes? For these sons of the Buddha, I preach the scripture of the great vehicle. I prophesy to such persons that these in a future age shall achieve the Buddha's path. Because with profound thought they are mindful of the Buddha and because they practice and keep a pure discipline. When they hear that they shall attain Buddhahood, these persons have a great joy that permeates their body. He just helps give them that last confidence, that last push with this teaching that they can and will achieve it. Again, by their own means. The Buddha, knowing the course of their thoughts, therefore preaches the great vehicle to them. A voice hearer, or a bodhisattva, who hears of the Dharma I preach so much as a single gatha, shall in every case achieve Buddhahood. Of that there is no doubt. Within the Buddha lands of the Ten Directions, there is the Dharma of only one vehicle. There are not two. There are not three. Save where the Buddha, preaching by resort to expedience and by merely borrowing provisional names and words, that's very important right there, something I constantly remind us of, the personages, the examples, they're all imaginings of Shakyamuni Buddha as characters, protagonists, so forth, in his stories as exemplars of the innumerable different ways we conceive of our practice and accomplishing this one vehicle. You'll notice here, if I can refer to Nichiren for a moment, because that's our teacher, right? You could see that by reading this, that only one gatha of this teaching would enable you to arrive at your Buddha, that what, what gatha, what part of this sutra could be the most evidentiary or efficient or primary gatha, if you will, that would be this maximal expedient. Well, how about the title? How about the title, which with five characters displays all of the 69,384 characters of the entire book? 
sermon. You can't get more direct than that, right? That's Nietzsche's insight from, obviously, what we'll hear repeated several times throughout this sutra. And merely by merely borrowing provisional names and words draws the beings to him. In order to preach Buddha wisdom, the Buddhas come into this world. Only this one cause is true. For the other two are unreal. The Shravaka, the Prachaka Buddha path, ultimately the, the, the accomplishment of those paths is Arhat. But Arhat is not Buddha. Arhat, very knowledgeable, very capable, but still a samsaric achievement. When he says only this one cause is true, he's referring to what I've been repeating about our determination. To the very end, he does not resort to the lesser vehicle to ferry the beings across. The Buddha himself dwells in the greater vehicle. This is where Buddhaness lies. Whatever dharmas he acquires, adorned with the strength of concentration and wisdom, through them does he rescue the beings. He himself bears witness to the unexcelled path to the undifferentiating dharma of the great vehicle. The undifferentiating dharma of the great vehicle. Undifferentiating, what does he mean? In samsara, samsara is defined as discriminations, right? Identification, incremental possessions of data, yeah? This is not that, that is not this, these are not those. Therefore, with these, that, these, those, I am this. That's samsara. I'm going to read it again. To the undifferentiating dharma of the great vehicle, Buddha makes no differentiation because everything is occurring, instantiating of potential moment to moment to moment to moment to moment. Everything is always changing and only appearing as existence moment to moment to moment to moment. Being a part of that moment to moment existence is completely freeing because you're in the flow, the momentum of the engine of life. That is life. That is living. The past is not living. The future is an imaginary thing. The future will come as there is momentum, but it's not happening in this moment. This is where living is. And into the next. The momentum. The engine of life. Hmm? If by resort to the lesser vehicle I were to convert 
so much as one person, I should have fallen victim to greed. And this sort of thing would never do. A man in resolve takes refuge in the Buddha, believing that the thus come one does not deceive. I will get to the end of the hall. I will open that door. Also that having no thought of greed or malice, I'll get more Buddha than you will. <laughs> Duh, right? He cuts off the evil in the dharmas. In other words, any obstacles from reaching the goal. We've covered evil and it's in, did I put it in Buddhism reference? I know it's in volume two, so... It is for this reason that the Buddha in the Ten Direction alone is fearless. I, with marks adorning my body, radiantly give light to the world. Being venerated by incalculable multitudes, for them I preach the seal of reality marks. Shariputra, be it known that formerly I took a vow, wishing to cause all multitudes to be just like me, no different. Enlightened, attaining Buddha. Hmm? In keeping with my former vow, all is now fulfilled. For I have converted all living beings, causing them all to enter the Buddha path. If upon every encounter with the beings I had taught them all the Buddha path, the ignorant, confused, and gone astray would not have accepted my teaching. Because I knew that these beings had never cultivated wholesome roots, that they were firmly attached to the five desires, remember the skandhas, that through delusion and greed they were subject to agony, that by reason of their desires they fell into the three evils' destinies, hell, hunger, and animality, right? That they spun like wheels in the six destinies, the six lower worlds, receiving all manner of woe and harm, that receiving the frail form of a fetus, for generation after generation they would constantly grow, the, that men of slight virtue and little merit were attacked by multitudinous woes, that entering into the luxuriant forest of wrong views, whether of existence or non-existence, or the like, and relying on these views, they fulfill 62 of them. The reference is probably to the 62 views listed in chapter 48 of Kumara Jiva's translation of the Paramita Sutra. Anyway, let's move on. That profoundly attached to vain and arbitrary dharmas. If I'm rich, everything will work out. If I just had that boyfriend or that job or that car, everything would work out, right? They firmly seize upon them and cannot cast them aside. Talk about attachment. That their pride and arrogance are lofty, their sycophantic, crooked hearts insincere. That for a thousand myriads of millions of kalpas, they neither hear the Buddha's name nor hear the right dharma. Oh, you're a Buddhist, huh? You guys are vegetarian. You're pacifists. How many times have you heard that? 
no, you don't understand Buddha-ness or Buddhaism at all. That men, the likes of these, are hard to save or liberate. For these reasons, Shariputra, for their sakes, I established an expedient device. Preaching ways that put an end to woe and showing them nirvana. Giving them the carrot to reach for, yes? The liberation from all of that. Well, that sounds good. How do I do that? Though I preach nirvana, this is no true extinction. The dharmas from their very origin are themselves eternally characterized by the marks of quiet extinction. The Buddha's sons and daughters, having trodden the path, in an age to come shall be able to become a Buddha. I, having the power to devise expedients, set forth the dharma of the three vehicles. All the world-honored ones, all of them, preach the way of the one vehicle. Now that these great multitudes are all to purge their doubts and uncertainties, the Buddhas say, without differing, that there is only one vehicle, not two. For numberless kalpas in the past, incalculable Buddhas since passed into extinction, of a hundred thousand myriads of millions of kinds, their number not to be reckoned, world-honored ones in this manner, by resort to various means and parables, to the power of these and numberless other devices, expound the marks of the dharmas. These world-honored ones, all preaching the dharma of the one vehicle, convert incalculable beings and cause them to enter into the Buddha path. Also the chiefs of the great saints, his sages, Knowing all the worlds, all the variety of their de devas, gods, deities, their men, and their living creatures, the wishes in the deepest thoughts of all of these beings, by resort to yet other devices, help to clarify the prime meaning. What is all this about? If there are varieties of living beings who have encountered Buddhas in the past, have heard the Dharma or dispensed gifts, or else kept the discipline or endured ignominy, or advanced with vigor or cultivated dhyana or wisdom, who in short have in various ways cultivated merit and wisdom, persons like these have all achieved the Buddha path. But be mindful, the Buddha path isn't Buddha-ness. The Buddha path is the path to Buddha. When the Buddhas have passed into extinction, if a person of, is of good and gentle thought, living beings like him or her have all achieved the Buddha path. When the Buddhas have passed into extinction, persons who make offerings to their sarira shall erect myriads of millions of kinds of stupas, using gold and silver and shvatika or crystal, giant clamshell and agate, gems of carnelian and vaiduria, with which they brightly and extensively adorn and with dignity accouter the stupas. Right? We build monuments and we make offerings 
of samsaric value, really. But it's the spirit in which those offerings are made that's important here. Are you adorning your altar to impress others? Impress them of your wealth, your creativity? Or are you creating something to express a level of dignity that relates personally to you? Yeah, we're samsaric beings. But is your attitude, your intent to impress upon your mind the value, the incredible worth of Buddha in your mind. You can't buy Buddha, right? It's not about the wealth. It's about your intent. Are you fully invested in attaining Buddha? How you choose to show that with your monument, your altar, is a reflection, you might say, of your own obstacles. But by giving them away, see, you're not giving them in a samsaric self. Here's, here's this, take that, now I've bought you. It's, I don't need these to represent me anymore. Buddha far more valuable, important. See, there's a different exchange happening there. So be mindful of that, right? And be mindful that uh, 2,700, 27 centuries or so ago, Buddha Shakyamuni was still talking to people who, albeit had followed him for a long time, learned a great deal, memorized a great deal. There's a difference. Did they actually understand the commitment they were making? Would they be able to part with what in samsara gave them pride? Gave them value? And offer it to this monument? You see, it's different. Not because they were buying Buddha, but because they were claiming same, making the commitment that this is no longer about me. This is about the engine of life. This is about a me that isn't attached and identified, but a me that is free-flowing with the current of life to maximize my experience of this rare and treasured moment that is life. That life isn't represented by this wealth or this such and such or any such, right? The suchness of Buddha far beyond the thusness of stuff. Okay, let me continue. Or there are those who erect some mausoleums of kandana or sandalwood and aloes wood, of hovinya and other timbers, of brick, tile, clay, and like these. Or there are those who, in open fields, heaping up earth 
make Buddha shrines. There are even children who play or in play gather sand and make it into Buddha stupas. Persons like these have all achieved the Buddha path. Ah, you see? The value isn't in the stuff. It's in the commitment, the effort made. If any persons, for the Buddha's sake, not for that guy, Shakyamuni Buddha's sake, but for the Buddha's sake, your enlightenment's sake, right? Erect images with carvings perfecting the multitudinous marks. They have all achieved the Buddha path. The Buddha path. In other words, their attitude and intent is meritorious. Some fashion them completely with the seven jewels, or with nickel or copper or bronze, or with white tin, or with alloys of lead and tin, or with iron or wood, or again with clay. Some coat them with resin and lacquer, with art creating Buddha images. Persons like these have all achieved the Buddha path not because of what they created, but because of their intent. Those who, with many colored designs, create Buddha images, adorning them with the marks of a hundredfold merit, making them themselves or having them done by others, have all achieved the Buddha path. Even children in play with grass sticks and brushes or with their fingernails draw Buddha images. Persons like these gradually accumulate merit and perfecting thoughts of great compassion have all achieved the Buddha path. Now keep in mind, Nietzsche must have read this many times as he studied the Lotus Sutra, right? And Tendai, and Dengyo, and so forth. And what becomes obvious in our day and age is that such things were so samsarically um, What's to say? So profoundly mired by samsara, right? Constantly being pulled one way or another, whether it's social media or television or each other. It, people have entire conversations that are just memes. And no one's really talking. They're just sharing memes and feeling satisfied in it. We live in incredibly incredibly attached, deluded times. And Nietzsche knew this. And he knew that if we didn't have a specific samsaric object imbued with the mission itself of enlightenment in its construction, in its consistency, available to all, that we would fall into the dangerous zone. And we do. We have groups today and sect, sectarian divisions today attached to a specific scroll, a piece of paper. They miss it. They miss the point. Imagine using photographs, pictures, images, sculptures. The attachment is immediate. Where is Buddha? The path must be to one place and one place only, the mind. That is where Buddha is. 
And any obstacle that gets in the way of that is an obstacle that causes a deluded attachment awaiting Buddha to come from it rather than the mind, the mind where Buddha already resides. And yet we have people misnaming Nichiren's scroll, copying that scroll and putting their names on it. We're not practicing you. We're practicing Nichiren's path to enlightenment. This mirror, which he refers to endlessly, is not it. It is an attitude and intent capturing tool for us with it to capture that portal in the mind, the Buddha eye in our minds. And we have to have that in our modern era because we can't look at anything without being, without dev devouring the self into that thing. Buddha isn't going to come from anything. It's already in our minds. We need to get through to it. That's the objective of our practice, to open the Buddha eye in our Gohonzon mind. The scroll is a tool for us to focus on that very thing. We don't worship. We don't think of the scroll as that which gives us Buddha. See, that's religious magical thinking. That's not what we do. We manifest. We manifest the Buddha, which is already there. But it's blanketed, covered, and obfuscated, good word, by our 3,000 realms in every thought moment. Oh, there's so much that, uh, ice cream. Ooh. We get distracted so easily. We need a focal point to go shut that stuff down and focus in on that portal in your mind. The minute that happens, this very scroll starts to do weird things visually because you're leaving it behind, because you're entering your portal to the Buddha eye. Focus with that kind of determination, attitude and intent. There it is again. Persons like these gradually accumulate merit and perfecting thoughts of great compassion have all achieved the Buddha path or merely converting bodhisattvas they may save incalculable multitudes. Every effort you make to help others find this truth, it's incalculable how this spreads through the sentient minds, the connections made. If any persons in stupas and mausoleums to jeweled images and painted images with flowered and perfumed banners and canopies and different deferential thoughts make offerings, or if they cause others to make music, beating drums and blowing horns and conches, or sounding flutes of many reeds or of only one, and leers mounted on stands or not, 
and lutes and cymbals, producing many fine sounds like these and holding them all up as offerings. Or, with, or if with joyful thought they sing hymns of praise to the excellence of the Buddhas, producing so much as one tiny sound, they have all achieved the Buddha path changing their attitude and intent, changing their minds. Once opened, even just a little crack, the light of Buddha is indelible. Do we build on it? This is the path, building on it, merit, right? If anyone, even with distracted thought, and with so much as a single flower, makes offering to a painted image, he shall at length be numberless Buddhas. He will see numberless Buddhas. Again, this is about attitude and intent. It's not about the flower, right? It's not about the painted image. It's about the attitude and intent in the offering. Are you truly seeking enlightenment? Or are you just part of a bunch of people you call friends? Are you known amongst them? Are you there to be known amongst them? Well, that's samsara. You can join any club and do that. Where is your mind? There will be some who prostrate themselves ceremoniously. Exactly what I'm talking about. Others, again, who merely join palms... Others yet who do not, who do no more than raise one hand. Others yet again who incline their heads but slightly. Mm -hmm. All in these several ways honoring the images, even they shall at length see incalculable Buddhas themselves achieve the unexcelled path, broadly rescue numberless multitudes, and enter into nirvana without residue. As when the kindling wood is exhausted, the fire goes out. If any, even with distracted thought, shall enter a stupa or mausoleum and recite Namo Buddhaya, homage to the Buddha. But once they have all achieved the Buddha path. Namo myoho renge kyo. Under the tutelage of the Buddhas of the past, whether while they were in the world or after their extinction, if any heard this Dharma, they have all achieved the Buddha path. The world-honored ones of the future shall be of number incalculable. Thus these thus come ones, by resort to expedient devices, also shall preach the Dharma. All the thus come ones by resorting to incalculable expedient means save the living beings, that they may enter into the Buddha's knowledge free of outflows. Of any who hear the Dharma, none shall frail or fail to achieve Buddhahood. Every Buddha's former vow is as follows. Whatever Buddha path I may have trodden, I wish universally to cause the beings all alike, to attain this path as well. The Buddhas, right, we chant that, we sing that in Gongyo every day, yeah? The Buddhas of ages to come, 
Though they shall preach hundreds of thousands of millions of numberless gateways to the Dharma, shall in fact be doing it for the sake of the one vehicle. The Buddhas, the most venerable of two-legged beings, know that the Dharmas are ever without a nature of their own. By virtue of conditions is the Buddha seed realized. For this reason they preach the one vehicle. The endurance of the dharmas, the secure position of the dharmas, in the world ever abiding. Having come to know these on the platform of the way, the guide teacher preaches them by resort to expedient devices. Recipients of offerings of gods and men, the Buddhas of the present in the ten directions in number like to the Ganges' sands, having appeared in the world to put beings at their ease, also preach a dharma such as this. They know the prime, quiet extinction. Quiescent energy, right? By resort to expedient devices, they may demonstrate various paths, but they do so, in fact, for the sake of the Buddha vehicle. I know the acts of the multitudinous beings, that which they are mindful of in their deepest thoughts, the deeds they have done repeatedly in the past, the nature of their desires, their power of vigorous exertion, and the keenness or dullness of their faculties. By the use of explanation of a variety of causes and conditions, parables, also words and phrases, and by resort to expedient devices, I preach in accord with what is appropriate. And I'll remind you, when he says that, he's saying all these different attitudes and intents that we went through, of varying whether they're of value, whether they're dirt or jewels or whatever, the attitude and intent is all pervasive here. When he says they enter the Buddha path, He's not guaranteeing that they'll all get there at the same time. He's simply saying that they have embraced, committed to, resolved to achieving it. That's the important part. That's the intent and the attitude. They're inseparable, really. Hmm? Now I, too, am like them to put the beings at their ease, I'll remind you, to put someone at ease is to remove them from dis-ease. So you know how we see these references to sickness all the time or disease, the, the dis-ease of samsara? Yeah, take the word apart and you understand how it's being used. Hmm? By resort to various dharma gateways, I proclaim the Buddha path. With the power of wisdom, knowing the natures and desires of the beings, by resort to expedient devices, I preach the dharmas, causing them all to gain joy. Shariputra, let these things be known. I, with the eye of a Buddha, I, Shakyamuni, with the eye of a Buddha, hmm? see the beings on the six courses, reduced to poverty's extreme, having neither merit nor wisdom, entered upon the steep highway of birth and death, attaching to every moment instead of being with every moment. It's a difference, right? 
their woes in constant succession, moment to moment to moment, knowing no interruption, profoundly attached to the five desires like a long-tailed ox in love with chasing its own tail, covering themselves with lust and greed, blind and seeing nothing, seeking neither a Buddha of great might nor ways of cutting off woe, profoundly entered into wrong views by the use of woe wishing to cast off woe. For the sake of these beings, I evince thoughts of great compassion. And I think, yeah, I've gone on a long time. This is a very important chapter in The Lotus. And it decries the methodology each one of us should use. Our attitude and intent, supreme in this chapter. Hmm? So I'm going to pause here. And we will start for the sake of these beings in the next video. I find this, that's why, you know, I don't, I don't perceive time when I'm doing this. It's, it's, I don't know, it's so exciting. It's so amazing to be brought into this thinking with, with Shakyamuni, Right? And to see quite clearly how Nietzschean obviously took these lessons and distilled them into the most egalitarian, the most efficacious, the efficacy of chanting Namo Myoho Renge Kyo instantly manifesting all of these lessons with a mirror to open that door, the eye of Buddha, just as we just read, described in this one vehicle teaching. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, Nichiren. Thank you. So, <laughs> king of oxymorons here, but Pathetically simple. <laughs> There's no one who can't do this. Why not then? Why not? What are the obstacles? And those are what we need to identify for others to help them to realize in their own sentient minds oh, yeah. I could do this, or I could do this. This, ultimate reality. This, habit. Habit energy. Do I really need it? Do I worship that? Or would I rather manifest this truth? Wow, that's so powerful. Am I ready? Of course you are. This is our job. You're ready. Encourage, encourage and, what's the word I'm looking for? Inspire others to aspire for themselves. I will help, assist, facilitate was the word I was looking for. You are a facilitator, right? You're not a salesman. You're not 
a grantor of wishes, you're saying, this is, this is so awesome and simple. Why wouldn't you do it? Enter on this path. Yeah, a little at a time. Jump in with both feet. Whatever you want to do, I'm there for you. But you can do this. That's a bodhisattva, my friends. And now with all of that blah, 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 <laughs> I'm finally going to close out this video, this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please help and support. It's, it's so critical, and many of you are. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Buying e-books or books or mandalas. Um, avail yourself to all the free stuff. All the podcasts are free. All of, uh, there's a ton of information on threefoldlotus.com. Go get it. Download it, print it out. It's, it's for you. It's for all of us. Build our own confidence before you can build somebody else's, yeah? All right, I'm done. I can't wait to continue this, you can probably tell. So I will see you in the next one, okay? All right. With that, bye for now.